Okay, so a very good morning to everybody. Uh, just to introduce myself, I'm Matt Jennings Temple. Uh, I'm head of marketing, and one of the reasons why we've decided to sort of sit down with everybody this morning is just to give everybody um, in the company a real clear idea of where we're moving forward, how we're moving forward. And obviously with a, a really cool first ever event that we're going to be attending, although it's a virtual event because of COVID-19, it's going to be a really cool way for us to sort of interact with industry people uh, and people generally interested about getting to know us as a company, the types of games that we're going to produce and the type of stuff that we're going to do. So I'm just going to sort of pitch this out and, and feel free, anybody, whoever wants to jump in first to sort of, you know, take uh, take the leaf and, and sort of step into the mark and and start talking first. So um, just talk to me a little bit about how sort of Arcadum came about, really. Hi, I'm Philip Douglas, Director of Gaming and co-founder of Arcadum. I can answer that question quite quite easily, Matt. So the reason kind of Arcadum came to be was um, Christian, our Director of Commercials, um, and myself were working in the industry for a long time and we were working together at a, a different provider as well. And we kind of decided that we could create some really cool content and establish ourselves away from the norm that everyone else is doing in the industry. And we felt we could, you know, not sound arrogant, do it better than we, you know, currently seen out there. And we decided, you know, why not, you know, it's, even in the COVID times, it was kind of the right time to do this because, you know, it takes a lot to get it off the ground and get it going. But the biggest thing is the motivation behind it and just doing it. And that, that was the biggest step. And, you know, since we did that step, I think it's been quite a fluid process for us. If, mm-hmm. And Christian can kind of clarify a little bit further there. Yes. Uh, thank you, Philip. Uh, Christian Hellman, I am director of commercials uh, for KDM. So, uh, Philip, just to follow on what Philip, what Philip said here, we, 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 we saw a gap in the market and we thought that we could do this in a different way um, to create more of a nostalgia uh, that people need in these times, we, we believe, and, and making, but still using very modern and very in, intricate uh, techniques uh, for mechanics. And this is how we, we, we decided to all start Arcadium, just to change the norm a bit and do it a bit differently from other game providers. Cool. And that, I suppose, really leads me on because I think whenever you look at the sort of gaming industry right now, there's, there's an awful lot of providers and there's an awful lot of games. So I know you two have both briefly spoken about the sort of motivation, but how have we produced something that is different from everybody else? You know, if you look at Coward, the first game it released, in what way is that different to, to, to everybody else on the marketplace right now? So Coward for me was a statement um, because we picked sci-fi, of course, and there's other sci-fi games on the market. However, there's not been a sci-fi game such as Coward on the market where, you know, we take a... What people see is a niche, you know, like the Neon Samurai, but if you look into the game, you get elements of nostalgia when you're playing the game, from the music to the, to the artwork. And we tell a story with it as well. Um, you know, we have Kara himself, who looks over the Citadel, and, you know, it's his new city that he's looking to protect because it's part of his Samurai code and honor. And then we have Paradox, who people have been questioning, you know, the release of the game. Who is Paradox? The, the kind of question it. And Paradox has his own game lined up in the future. Um, as a sequel cool. to the Neil Samurai Kawa. And he's kind of, at first, like an anti-villain hero, but he's more of the mischievous kind of guy, and he's out to make a book. You know, he's he's the typical villain, but if you look at him as well, you'll probably pick up a reference to a film like um, from the 90s, like The Fifth Element or Total Recall, because it suits that kind of 90s nostalgia or 80s kind of sci-fi films. But 
it feels new at the same time and that's what we want to offer with all our games we want to offer that nostalgic twist and that you know kind of spin on the games but not to be ridiculously out there people are going to still want to play the game and enjoy it but it's not going to feel like a like Hollywood is doing at the moment it's just a reboot of a reboot of a reboot none of our games are going to feel like that and I think that's what makes us stand out especially with Kara as well because it's the perfect marriage of art and sound and story as well within the game yeah and that's very cool because to sort of get a, a wider point of view from from each of you is what of your preview experiences and how have your previous experience shaped what you're going to bring to the table for Arcade and obviously you know we're talking about that sort of 80s 90s nostalgia with a you know a 2020 feel to it that it doesn't just feel like we're just reproducing the same stuff and we're kicking it back out there so mm. what do you think we've and, and again this is a question for all of you and I'll let each of you answer but what do you think your previous experience you've brought to the table in order to make sure we do give it a, a fresh new feel with a nostalgic look? Uh, so I think um, from an artist uh, sort of standpoint, um, for me, um, specific to the Kawa project, like my background, I've always enjoyed uh, sort of sci-fi theme thematics. And in the past, uh, I have developed content for, you know, sort of like different sci-fi themed contents as well as other things such as fantasy and so forth. Uh, and I think the thing that makes uh, Kawa unique is that from an artist's standpoint, obviously, like an artist has a, a certain uh, style some of the times uh, that's being brought to the table in combination as well with uh, the document brief for the project itself. So like references that are provided. So it's sort of like a it's sort of like a harmonious marriage between the style of the artist or things that the artist might like when it, as it has to do with like the thematics so, such as sci-fi what the artist likes as well as what's in the document brief and sort of like combining those to create something new and uh sort of like innovative uh, uh, from the visual standpoint and i suppose on that if you don't mind me just sort of carry on that where because cow is really cool right and you know i'm a sci-fi nerd myself and i'll 100 percent put my hand up to that to, to, to attain to that one where does the sort of inspirational aspect come from you know i know we talked briefly just about you know the sort of fifth element of total recall and you know that's that's 100 percent my era because i'm old but certainly where are you getting your sort of visual references from to sort of then build on the ideas and build out on that brief uh, so, for example, a, a common thing when creating designs is, uh, spe specifically for me, but I think for like a lot of artists uh, working on different projects, is is once you start a project, is the phase of reference gathering. So, during reference gathering, it has to do with Kawa projects specifically. I sort of like gathered references, not only those that were provided with the project brief, obviously those as well, uh, but... Uh, sort of references from a, an array of different projects that are pre-existing. This is a common thing uh, within the industry, uh, just to see what's out there. And and so for me, also my personal favorites when it has to do with uh, the sci-fi theme, uh, some of the old classics, uh, obviously, I'm a big fan of, uh, for example, like Ghost in the Shell, uh, you know, Blade Runner, these sort of very famous uh, projects. But it, it's a matter more so of sort of like gathering general references just like what's out there, but also references specific to the project itself uh, and, the, and the direction that the project wants to go in visually and sort of like combining those uh, to create something unique, I think. Uh, so those would be sort of like my specific uh, favorites in terms of like visual uh, standpoint for the project when, when I was actually developing the artwork and the assets for the project. 
Cool. Yeah, and it's a very cool game. I mean, I think anybody that's anybody that's seen it and everybody that's played it, I think the visuals just for me massively stand out. You know, whether I'm a touch bit biased or not, but I do think they they resonate with users, whether you're you know into gaming or otherwise. I think they massively stand out. So if we're talking about the sort of the the theming of the game as well, how does the theme? And again, talk to people that wouldn't necessarily. You know, know too much about how these types of games are produced. How does the theming of the game sort of go on to affect production? From you know the game's conceptualization. So when I'm designing your know, tower, or for instance, the next game、um, that's going to come out for us in terms of slots, the Evil After Night for Christmas. For me, it's actually some people say to you, you know, we design it from a commercial perspective or except, you know a different angle or etc. For me, I design games from a player's perspective first. Because we get we get the story, we build the characters, we build the game, and then we start building the mechanics for the game. But what the biggest point of reference for me is from what the player is going to see and how the player is going to enjoy playing this game. And what we do then is we, you know we build the, the user interface known as the GUI, and the way we've built our GUI as well, and it's it's going to be more prevalent in Evil Elf because we've designed the GUI from the ground up. It's still very responsible, gambling focused as well, but we're not. We're not kind of handcuffing the player to that. If the player wants to select these options, it's there, you know, for them. But it's a very user-friendly interface as well, and it will help present that story and present the gameplay and easy access for the player. So, as I said, it's about building that story, building good mechanics, and building a good game. But also thinking about these things about responsible gambling, about how the player is going to interact with the game. And if you get a perfect marriage of these, you know, you are going to make a good game. That leads me very nicely onto another question. Then, and again, you, you briefly touched on it there, Philip. When we're looking at, you know, creating these cool themes, you know, what was the reason? You know, if we start with Kara, what was the reason why we chose that as the first theme for us to get the, the the company going? And then, just give us a touch bit of an insight where some of these cool ideas come from. If you look at the kind of current times we're in, you know, COVID nineteen has been heavy taxing on everyone. And people have been sat at home, but Hollywood and the world and video games and everything were already leaning back to that kind of nostalgic trend. And we were seeing that in movies. You know, the Avengers were doing a lot of eighties music,、um, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, which got delayed. And we can see that, and we can see it with some video games. You know, you have Cyberpunk twenty twenty seven that's coming out in October, and、yeah. with people being in lockdown now as well, they actually wanted to, you know, enjoy. What the scene? Think back to you know good times because let's face it, this year has been quite tough mentally on some people. You know, myself included. You know, we've all been at home, and then when you get to visualize a kind of exciting project like this, and you can think about the future, but also think about you know like some of the nostalgic stuff from the nineties. I mean, I grew up on you know I'm 28. I grew up on films like The Fifth Element and Total Recall and you know Demolition Man. When I see these films, I'm like, wow, this is so nostalgic for me. So. I enjoy that, and I think people generally do enjoy being reminded of that, and that's how Kawa kind of formed. And as I said, it's a very hard game to build because you know there's not many examples of this game out like this type of game out there. There is sci-fi, but once we have you know the great music with the great visuals and the great story, and you combine them all naturally as a team, as we've done fantastically for Kawa, it just makes it such an enjoyable project. So, Christian, if I can throw a, a question at yourself, how do you think this sort of, you know, this online market of gambling? How do you think they've adapted to the sort of horrendous trials of 2020, as Philip just said, with COVID, and obviously with us positioning that first game in there to sort of try and disrupt the market? How do you think all of that has sort of fared over the course of the year? 
I think to be honest, uh, everybody was very worried to, to at the start of the year with the in the gambling industry, what's going to happen. There was a, a lot of rumors going around, but we saw a big pickup during the year. Um, right. So many of the industry, the companies actually uh, exceeded the expectations, and I think releasing Kava at this time was a very very good move from us because there was there's a gap in the market. There's no real sci-fi games, as Philip said, that has been out for for many years. Everybody has been focusing on Egypt teams uh, and these type of, of games. But we okay. came out to carve out to disrupt the industry a bit. So I, I believe that this was a good step for us moving forward. And I think the industry it will will continue taking up very good during this um, tough times we're all having. Over the course of, of you know the sort of latter half of 2019 and certainly the majority of and especially the last six months, have we seen a demand shift as well from you know the industry players um, wanting to take up more sort of gambling or has that as we said has that been more of a, a sort of a drop off and then it's sort of you know re-kicked back in again everybody wants to do the gamble that's always especially with all of the year with the football season down yeah um, that made a massive impact on the casino side of the business um, mm-hmm. but now when the seasons are open again I can see it's going to go be more evenly like it's been in the past. Christian's saying, you know, there's been an increase in casino. Actually, there's been a reaction from a positive way from the industry as well. I think responsible gambling, uh, as I hinted on before, has actually become stronger within the industry. We've actually, as a whole, started policing ourselves a lot more because, you know, we can turn around and say, oh, it's great players, you know, increasing more money, more profits, etc. But at the end of the day, we don't want to see the people who have a problem get worse. And as an industry as a whole, we've all kind of collectively agreed upon that. You know, there is people out there, that, of course, that, that, that don't care about these things. But um, from our standpoint and a lot of, you know, our colleagues within the industry, responsible gambling has become a bit more of a forefront for us. And it's rightly so as well. So it has increased, don't get me wrong, in terms of traffic for casino. But we've also reacted in a positive way off the back of that as well been a lot of changes in regulation as well and as Philip said we are very responsible gaming focused um, and that's one of our cornerstones of our KDM to make sure that we are future proof and we can always protect the players. So if let's just take a, a little bit of a, a, a side step away from, from the, that sort of side of the house if you will. With the company being set in Malta has there been any sort of major implications for the business itself being set in Malta or maybe talk about the trials and tribulations and the reasons why the company was set up in Malta. Uh, Malta has always been the iGaming hub of, of Europe um, mm-hmm. and that's why we decided to set up the company here. Um, it's um, Many of the operators uh, and providers like ourselves have a big footprint in Malta. Mm-hmm. We believe it's important to have footprints here even though that we are, we are a very agile team with people working from many different locations. Malta is a place that we need to be, even though we don't have to have a full team here. But it's just having a footprint in Malta is very important because you can have a lot of calls, but sometimes you need to walk and talk as well. Unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder with uh, yeah. everything that's happening, but you need to walk and talk uh, in this industry to, to move forward. So Malta is definitely a, the place to be for iGaming at the moment. So I suppose really for everybody then, you know, seeing that the the majority of the team isn't, you know, based in Malta and, and we're lucky to have 
people working remotely around the world. How have you guys sort of felt, you know, working for a company and, and the majority of the stuff that we do in terms of meetings and all that sort of stuff and all the work that we do online? How have you guys managed to, to sort of cope with that? Um, and obviously, how has that affected the production and the workflow of the actual games production itself? From my point of view, I'm Ignacio, a game artist. Well, it's been extremely beneficial for me to work remotely, to be honest. That flexibility is one of the things that attracted me to work in Arcadium, uh, among many other things. But um, that one of the key factors that allowed me to choose Arcadium as the company I wanted to work for. Uh, I believe that um, the guys are extremely flexible in terms of um, you know being able to work remotely that allowed me to also have the you know the time to dedicate myself to working on on the assets and the backgrounds and every other um, element of the video game that I'm working on I think that's extremely beneficial for all to be able to work remotely to be honest I haven't met Philip Christian um, Julius and Andrew as yet but um, yet but I think that's one of the good things of this new era that we're living you know I think that is extremely beneficial for especially for me that I have a kid um, that's one of the, the things <laughs> yeah. that uh, most of our uh, new parents are looking for right yep I'm Andy I'm head of development uh, I'm the same I work from home uh, I have I'm married with a with a kid as well the flexibility that that gives you is is, is great to be fair, I've been working uh, at home for, for many years now, so it's 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 kind of the norm for me. And what with the lockdown and all that uh, stuff going on, it didn't really affect me at all, to be honest. Uh, what I do miss is when you when you're working for a company, it's nice to meet up occasionally, physically, mm-hmm. uh, and chat face to face, have a coffee, have a beer. Uh, but obviously, that's not going to happen anytime soon. But as for working from home. Uh, you have to have a little bit of discipline. Uh, you, know, you don't want to get distracted all the time, but uh, if you manage it well, and it, it's great to work with the guys remotely as well because they're they're very flexible. Like anything, it has its, it has its pros and cons. I see it as a, a very good way to work. Uh, yeah, I believe that I can second that as well uh, and just echo what, what was said. Is It's more or less the same for me as well. Uh, I quite enjoy it. Um, as, as everyone said, like it, it, the, the company has been quite flexible, um, as well as, as it has to do with meetings, like there are meetings when there needs to be. And then other than that, like everyone just sort of, you know, gets to work and then there are updates when there needs to be update. Uh, and, and so other than that, like it's, uh, for me, like I've in the past, I've worked freelance, uh, before from, from home. And so I'm, I'm quite used to it as well. I think it's about even, even for me, like I like sort of like working from home, but I also sort of like being in the office as well. Uh, but um, just my personal taste, I can sort of, you know, uh, adapt to, to either one. Uh, so now uh, freelancing with, with the company um, and, you know, as, as we know, the times of uh, sort of like COVID, uh, everyone's, you know, <laughs> having to stay home. Uh, I think it's it's been quite easy to sort of... Uh, uh, go back to working from home um, and not so much in the office anymore. Um, but yeah, it with the company has been quite flexible, so it, it hasn't been a, an issue with that. So, as long as the wor- processes are very and the workflow is very clear from the very mm-hmm. beginning, and I think that's something 
risky to be successful working from home. And I think that um, we are going through a very clear workflow that was established at the very beginning, I think. It was uh, communicated very clearly as well. So it was easy for us to adapt to this uh, working from home era with our KM, I think. Right, guys, thank you for that. Right, let me just take a, a little sidestep again. So obviously, we're going to be attending the uh, the East and West Virtual Expo, uh, the first one from Arcadum on the 29th and 30th of September. What was the reason why we decided to sort of attend this event? And I suppose, you know, with this sort of crazy times that we're all living in right now, what's, what's the expectation that we're going we're gonna to take home from this? The main reason this will be our first exhibition, uh, even though it's going to be virtual. But moving forward in the gaming industry, we see more and more virtual um, uh, conferences popping up due to people not able to travel or, or restrictions in other cases. So we're very, very excited to attend this and we, we, we think it's going to be a good um, launch for the Arcadian brand in the, in the sense that we bring our brand out there and show people what we are doing and what we are coming up with. So we are very excited to be attending this conference and we have big hopes to meet some interesting people and have some good talks during the, the event. Is there any other sort of events that are going on potentially that uh, the people can look out for in the rest of 2020 or early 2021 that uh, people could put on their calendars that we think we should have, that we should attend uh, and they should be a part of it as well? Now, there's been a lot of changes this year. Uh, I believe there is, I'm not sure if the Sigma event will go, go on. Uh, that's normally in Malta in November. I think they moved it to, to next year in February instead. Uh, so the virtual event, it, it will be hard to see because most of these companies, uh, the event companies, they do still believe that they will host a physical event the next year. But I think it's a little bit, we have to wait and see. We have the Sigma conference in February, then you have um, Casino Beat, that's supposed to be here in Malta. Um, and then we have ICE, that's normally in February, that's in London, that has been pushed up till April now, I believe. So I think it's a little bit of a waiting game here. Obviously, we would like to attend all the big conferences, if we can, if possible. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we will try to, to move more into this virtual space as well. And that's why it's exciting to be with this first conference, really see how, how the virtual conferences work, uh, as this is new ground for myself, at least. So, Philip, last couple of questions before we sort of put a wrap on this. If you could give us a sort of a, a bit of a sneak peek into the titles that we are looking to sort of bring out or what the next title is going to look like. Yes, we have a very diverse roadmap. And I mean, when I say that, we you know we have a roadmap clearly defined for the next two to three years. Um, so we can kind of build upon sequels to our games as well and progress these stories. In the upcoming games, you know, I can mention a few. So obviously... I previously mentioned there we have um, The Evil Elf The Night Before Christmas and it centres on a character called Frostberries and she is um, she is a character um, she wants to destroy Christmas you know she's she's not out to be all happy-go-lucky elf and you can see that from the artwork in the game and the sounds in the game as well that she is very much you know as advertised um, so I'm really excited to see that game uh, go fully live um, the game after that is called Tap House and it centers on a 1700s tavern where it's it's friendly and outgoing at the start. But once you get into the bonus round, you see more of the sinister version of the game. And that's where the highwaymen appear and the bandits appear. So it's a game where the service always stands and delivers, um, as we like to say. And then to touch upon one more game, we have a game called Starfang that's very um, 
fantasy orientated. It's um, a knight and he's doing his battle against a dragon that's attacking kind of mythological uh, Camelot, so it were. So, it were. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And the games are very diverse from each other. You know, we're not following one standard theme and we're going to see that in the other games that we have clearly defined throughout, throughout the year as well. Um, and I think players are going to really enjoy playing these games because, you know, we've got really good themes, we've got really good artwork, really great sound, and the characters themselves have backstories. You know, these these characters are real to us. Um, we treat them as our family. Um, and the conversations that we have about these characters internally in the team, we speak we speak about the characters as if they're, as if they're one, you know, one and the same with us. Um, the characters, conversations that we have about Frostberries is quite hilarious. We we develop kind of little storylines for her um, as we go along, and Julius can probably uh, allude on that a bit more because he's the guy uh, who brought Frostberries to life. And me, myself and him have some hilarious stories that we exchange between each other about Frostberries. Yeah, as it has to do with uh, sort of like the the Frostberries uh, game and the character specifically, uh, I think it's a really, really unique character. Uh, I was able to basically co- uh, collaborate with Philippe uh, during the project and um, be able to design the character, uh, sort of like gather references, both that Philippe provided and as, as my, my own way of gathering references in combination with that to develop, uh, I think, a really unique character that, that has a lot of uh, personality to her uh, both in terms of the visual design as well as her sort of personality in and of itself um, and, and so I, I think that it's a really really uh, would, you, would you say that it's, it's almost like a flagship character if you will for like I think a lot of the characters that we're you know building at the moment I mean we've got Cower and Paradox we have Frostbury as herself and we have Aiden for Starfang with the dragon Morrigan um, and I think each character, it's hard to say one's a flagship character because they're all characters within their own right and they all stand out. But if I had to pick a favorite among all my characters, Frostbreeze is probably, she's probably my favorite character so far. Cool. Um, but I'm interested to see when we bring, um, we have another game coming out, uh, just a couple of games after Starfang, which is the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. And it focuses, of course, on the legendary character, the Mad Hatter. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're giving him the classical sinister twist, as he, sh- he should have. And I'm really interested to see how he turns out because he could be my next favorite character. So I'm interested to see, you know, who is going to be that character in my next favorite spot, if that makes sense. Everybody, thank you very much for uh, for taking the time this morning to sort of sit down. It's been a it's been a fabulous insight. We look forward to to seeing and, and chatting to you again soon. And certainly after we uh, after we go to the event, it'd be great to catch up with you again. So thanks very much, guys. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. You too. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Have a nice day.